0: That was the remix version. We thought it was too slow before, and I was like, you know what? It needs a little more pedazzle. Times it by 10. It was good. It was good. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Sorry, my button came on down. I was trying to do like a, um, I can't even think of David Hasselhoff. Is that the guy? He's trying to pull a Hasselhoff. I I miss Pastor Brent so much, it made me think of the beach, so. If you are here this morning, we are so thankful you're here. Uh, Real quick, uh, we're going to put up our QR code. This is a way for you to follow along uh, with the message today. In the first service, I shared this story, and I thought it it was really good, so I'm going to share it again because I like telling good stories. When I was in a youth group, I preached this whole sermon, um, laid it all out for these students, like, did all this stuff, and at the end, I was like, hey, what did you guys think of this message? And they're like, that that was really good. And I, I went up to them afterwards, and I was like, I'm glad you really liked it. Did you know that everything I said went against what the Bible taught? And they're like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, those verses that I said I read, I just made up. Like the second book of Ty, verse 51, was good. And so they were just blown away. And I told them, that's why it's so important that you read the Bible. That's why it's so important that you, that you proof text. I'm going to talk about it again later, later in this uh, message. But Paul commended the church in Corinth because they checked everything that he said and compared it to Scripture. And he said, what you're doing is good. And so I don't want you guys just to take everything because I said it. Because you can ask my wife. I say a lot of stupid things. So don't believe it just because I say it. Make sure that... Oh, you're good. (laughs) Make sure that... that, See? He's testing me. Uh, Make sure that what I'm saying comes from the Bible. Because it's not about me. It's not about a person. It's about Jesus, right? So let's make sure that what we're studying this morning... It's from the book of the Bible. So I say all that to say, we have a fancy QR code up here. So if you have your phone, you have access to it, so you can follow along with the notes. We're going to put up here in a few minutes. Uh, you have access to the Bible plan. And if not, if you're OG and you brought your physical Bible, we're going to be in Psalms 119, verses 9 through 16. How many of you guys really appreciated Pastor Brent's sermon last week? I thought it was, like, off the charts. He just wanted to make sure that we didn't forget about him while he was gone. So he's like, I'm going to say all the things. I was like, man, way to leave room for the rest of us. That was so good so good if you are in psalms 119 or you have your bible plan open say there cool good enough all right two people are with me we got this i became a christian later in life i've kind of alluded to it a few times here and so i didn't grow up in a christian home i started going to youth group as a teenager but mostly because i'm like that's where all the pretty girls are they have a soda machine and i get to play guitar what else can a young man ask for it was really cool and so later in life, in my 20s, I kind of went through this process of, of depression. And in a weird way, I got everything that I thought that I wanted. And I was like, is, is that it? Is this all life's about? So I kind of had this existential crisis. In the midst of that, God spoke to me. And so I got my life right with God and began to do what I knew to follow Jesus. And I be- it became really um, apparent to me that I knew nothing about the Bible. So my first year of being a believer, I just dived in. I wanted to know every verse, read everything. I literally didn't know where to start reading. So I started at Genesis and read through the whole thing. And can I tell you, that's, that's rough. Don't do that. I do not recommend it. When you get into, like, Deuteronomy and Numbers, you're just like, what the heck is happening right now? But um, I began to just study the Bible and love the Bible. And a year after being saved, I decided to go off to Bible college and pursue ministry and something that kind of caught me off guard is we were going through, a, like, basics of the Bible, and the teacher began to ask questions, like, hey, who knows this verse? Who has this memorized? Wheel of stuff." And I'm with, like, PKs. I'm with people that have been in church their whole life. All these people that I was like, man, they're going to blow me out of the water. And can I tell you, they didn't really know much of the Bible. They had grown up in church so long that they took the Bible for granted and never really read it or dived in for themselves. And so I was blown back by my one year of faith. I just took the Bible so seriously, and I was already at the point... Where I was like, we, we are not like minded. We're not on the same page because the Bible is is vital for our faith. It became crazy. And I knew that I was really different when I was uh, in a weird kind of way, like in a Christian frat house. There's like 12 of us guys that were pursuing ministry in this one house, and we didn't play beer pong. We played like Coke pong. It was okay. It was good. Um, and so. I knew I was weird when we had these Mormons that would continually knock on our door and they were like headhunting us or something and all my roommates would just like turn off the lights and, and lay on the ground. They're like, they're going to go away. Just, just be quiet. And I was like, I'll talk to them. I don't care. So I opened the door and they're like, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. And I was like, dude, that sounds awesome. Come on in. Let's talk about Jesus. And they begin to, to, to say stuff that I was like, that, that doesn't sound like what I've learned. That's not in the Bible. So I began to ask them questions and I could see really quick that they were getting kind of frustrated. So they started looking at their watches. They're like, you know, we got a lot of other houses to hit. We're going to take off. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I have a lot of free time. I'm just going to go with you. So I decided to like get up. Um, I don't know any better. So I get up and I start following around like seriously, true story. And I'm just telling them all these things I'm reading in the Bible and how much I'm liking it. And this one girl in particular is getting really frustrated. She just turns to me and she says, are you like one of them Pentecostals or something? And I'm like, don't worry about that. I'm just somebody that reads the Bible and believes what it says. And she's like, you know, that's your first problem. You don't understand that. Somebody else needs to tell you what the Bible teaches. And I'm like, see, that's your first problem. You don't read the Bible to understand for yourself. Now, we can be critical of them, and we can be harsh on them, but can I tell you, on average, um, they are not a unique story. Most people just come to church, hear a sermon, and think they can check it off their list, and that's, that's all they need. They don't spend time the word And can I tell you, sermons are great, teaching is great, but those should not replace your daily devotions. I have one goal today. If you walk away, I have one thing I want you to remember. I want to convince you to read the Bible for yourself every single day. I know for some of us you're thinking, that's really simple, that's really rudimentary, but how many of us actually read it every day if we're honest? One of my favorite theologians, Martin Luther, says this, the Bible is the cradle where Christ is laid. Statistically, less than twenty percent of churchgoers read their Bible. Do you know what the most popular verse in America is? Now I'm an ex youth pastor. You have to yell out at me. It's awkward. I know. What do you guys think? John three sixteen is that kind of like the the vote all around? Cool. John three sixteen. The most popular verse in America is God helps those that help themselves. Do you know what the problem with that is? It's not in the Bible. It's not an actual verse. It's crazy. You guys feel encouraged? <laughs> well, buckle up. We're just getting started here. This going to be good. All right. Psalms 119, starting in verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That is so good. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Let's pray. God, I now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this awesome church, and God, I thank you for your amazing word. I pray that you would put a deep desire in our hearts to know your word and to live out your word, that it wouldn't be out of obligation, it wouldn't be out of religious duty or showmanship, but, God, that we would just have a deep hunger and desire to know you better, to become more like you. In your name I pray, amen. If you're taking notes, my first point is we need to realize our need for the word. The Bible compares oftentimes, especially in the Psalms, a hunger and a thirst like food and water. I don't know about you guys, but my body—it doesn't happen by accident. It takes a lot of hard work. I have to hit drive-through after drive-through, cheeseburger and pizza after cheeseburger and pizza. You guys are like looking at me. You're like, "Where is he going with this?" My body did not happen by accident. My wife will be talking to me about what's for lunch tomorrow while I'm eating lunch today, and I'll start drooling. And I'm like, "Lunch tomorrow." I'll go to sleep at night drooling about the cup of coffee I get to have the next day. It's a sickness. It's gross. Me and my dog just sit there together watching TV, just drooling over the steaks. We're like, oh, this is so, so good. The Bible compares our desire to read the Word to to hunger and thirst, I think, because on the, on the most primal level, people understand that. We've all been hungry. We've all been thirsty. We understand the necessity of food and water, and we understand that sometimes, like, you want the good stuff, right? Like, you're not going for the cheap stuff. Like, when you're like, hey, I'm bringing you over for steak, I'm like, are we talking Walmart, Costco, or are you going to the butcher shop? When we, when we look at the word, we, we go out of our way to make sure we have three meals a day, and yet somehow we forget to read our Bible once a day. We, just, we seem to not understand the need for it, the vitality of our spiritual life and the need for a word. I had the privilege of driving a conference speaker to an event one time. I picked him up at the airport, drove him to the conference, dropped him off at the convention center. He preached a great message. I was, like, stoked. I'm like, dude, I get to drive him back and talk to him for, like, the... I was driving to Portland, so for, like, the four and a half hours, you know, from Salem to Portland, who knows. I was like, what am I doing tomorrow? I'm going to be in traffic. It's cool. Um, and so I, I get him in there, and I'm like, hey, we have some time. I loved your message. Uh, how, do you, how do you do that, like when you read your Bible daily, how does God speak to you? And he's like, can I be honest with you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, the only time I read my Bible is to prepare a message. And I was like, oh. I was like, that that sounds a little sketchy to me. And it's easy to think like that's an anomaly, but can I tell you, statistically, 35% of pastors say they only read their Bible to prepare their message. That's a travesty. That's terrible. Psalms 119 verse 20 says, I I'm always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. Verse 81 says, I am worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your word. Amos 811 says, the time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread and water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Psalms 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You know the hardest thing about reading the word? is it takes humility. It takes humility. We have to understand that we don't have everything right and we're not perfect. Some of you might be married like I am, and one of my biggest pet peeves is my wife correcting my driving. Like, I'll see the stop sign four miles away. She'll grab my arm. There's a stop sign four miles away. I see it. I get it. Two miles away. It's two miles away. You should probably start slowing down. I'm like, I I see it. I get it. And then I run the stop sign. It's just how it works. But (laughs) just being honest. But... uh, um, there's nothing more frustrating than being humbled if we're honest, right? It's so easy in our American culture, especially to go around reading the Bible and saying, oh, I really like that part of the Bible. I'm going to share that. But then we get to parts where it talks about maybe, um, humility, like humility or, or being a servant or how it's good when people treat us like a servant. Cause we aren't servants at heart until we're treated like a servant and okay with it. And we're like, you know, God, I was born in America Newsflash for you. I think this part's a little outdated. You should check it again. And we begin, to, and it sounds funny, but in our own life, we begin to say, you know, God, you're pretty smart on these parts, but these parts, you know, I've been around 30 years. I know a few things. You should probably check yourself. A lot of it stems from our emotions. And can I tell you, emotions aren't good or bad. They're just an indicator of what's going on in our heart. But something has been crazy nowadays we don't, we don't filter our lives on the word anymore. We filter our lives around our emotions and our heart. And here's the problem with that. The Bible says that our heart is wicked. It says that our heart is deceitful and evil and that our heart lies to us. Our heart leads us to death. There's so many scriptures, or not scriptures, sorry, there's so many people nowadays that say, hey, if that's how you feel, that's, that's your truth, follow it. It's the greatest thing for you. And I'm, like, sitting there like, man, I come from a generation of people that need to be spanked. Can I say that? It's weird, but um, it's just, it's crazy to me to the point that one of my mantras that makes people weird out is, like, literally on my iPad, I say, ignore your heart, follow Scripture. Because our heart leads us astray so often. People have the best intentions. They have this heart that wants to do good. But the problem is we don't even know what good is. That's why the Scripture is, is so aggressive about leaning on God and his wisdom and not our own. We need to place our foundation on God's word and not how we feel or we think. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. I'm going to read that again because that's crazy. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Philippians 4.7, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Romans 8.6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to Death but letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You know what's crazy about Colossians and Philippians and Romans and Proverbs and all these things? These weren't written to non-Christians. This was written to the church. He's writing to the church in Rome that your sinful nature, if you let it control your mind, will lead you to death. Anytime we we see what God says and we choose the contrary, we're leading ourselves to our own destruction. Sometimes... It's physical, but every time it's a spiritual death. My second point is we need to seek the Word. The Bible says we need to do it with our whole heart. Because can I tell you, your spiritual maturity will never grow past your knowledge of the Bible. Because we don't even know what spiritual maturity is without the Bible. And it's so easy for us to stray. Nowadays, there's so many people, especially with, like, the pandemic and, and watching a lot of church, uh, a lot of churches are, you know, you can experience them online, and there's so many people that when they go looking for a new church or a new pastor, they don't they don't look for what they should. They look for what has the most, you know, popular music or the best music, uh, who's the most entertaining, who has the best jokes, what's the coffee like there, all these things, and they never sit there and ask themselves, well, are they preaching from the word? They listen to speakers that will often lie and manipulate them. In First Kings chapter 13, there's this crazy story. This prophet from Judah gets told to go speak and uh, God's word against this king. So he goes down to this king and he's like, hey, God says, repent, his judgment's coming upon you. And the king gets so angry, he goes to point his finger to say, seize the guy, and his arm literally freezes. And it's not just like a, I can't move my arm, but it compares it to stone. Like he's sitting there, like freaking out, like I can't, I can't move my arm. So he says to the prophet, "Please pray for me." So the prophet prays for him, and the king is like, "Wow, okay, I get it. Like God is all powerful. I'm not." He's like, "Will you stay and eat and 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 have some water and stuff with me?" And the guy says, "No. God specifically told me, don't eat and drink anything until you get back to your home." So he says, "Okay, I understand." And the prophet leaves. Well, this uh, other older man who um, is a false prophet. Hears about this and he's excited. So he's like, which way did the man go? And he follows, he finds the man on the road and he's like, Hey, you're a prophet. I'm a prophet. Come and eat and drink at my house. And he says, No, God told me to not eat or drink until I get to my home. And so the false prophet says, you know what? No, God told me that you are supposed to eat and drink with me. And the guys, the prophet's like, Oh, okay. If God said it. And he goes to the prophet's house, the false prophet's house. And in that uh, house, the false prophet, as they're eating, all of a sudden God speaks to him for the first time and he said, Hey, God just told me you should have listened to God and not to me. Now you're going to die before you get home. The prophet gets up and goes towards his home, and a lion eats him, and they leave his body there with a lion like living next there for a long period of time. So everyone that walks by says, that's what happens when you don't listen to the Lord. That same king in Kings 22 says, hey, we're going to battle, and I want to know if God's with us. And his advisor says, hey, there's all these prophets and people that are around you. They're saying God's with you. And he says, ha, huh, these are the same people that lied to me before. I want to hear from a true prophet. And that false prophet that experienced that actually repented and changed his life around. And we know this because the visor says, well, I know of one man who speaks truthfully for God, but you don't want him because he never tells anyone what they want to hear. And so literally king's like, fine, I'm just going to go to battle without it then. We make fun of that story, but how often is that us? I don't want to know what God has to say because he never says what I want to hear. Like I alluded to earlier, Paul celebrates the church in Corinth for double-checking what he preached. And it's not like today where you can just pull up your phone and read through it for yourself or pull up a commentary on Google. They had to go find the scrolls. It took. It was a long process. It took a lot of work, and they did it. And Paul celebrated them. When I was a youth pastor up in Washington, uh, I took some students down to a mission trip to Portland to do the... Um, Bridge of Hope, Bridge City. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, they, uh, in Portland, they take you to uh, under the bridge, and you supply supplies for homeless people you love on them. You give them haircuts and food and wash their feet and paint their nails, whatever you want to do. And so my students are having a good time. We go there, and um, I have, like, me, one other, like, guy student, uh, a girl leader who's, like, just turned 19, but I'm like, hey, I need you to come, because no other girl leaders will come, and, like, a bunch of teenage girls that were all, like, uh, I call them woo girls, because they're all, like, woo, about everything. Side note: This is mostly for Donnie. How I grew that youth ministry? I just had a bunch of pretty girls, and I'm like, God's got this because boys will follow. They did. I like doubled my youth ministry in months because the word got out there's pretty girls there. It blew up. Get pretty girls, Donnie. You're set. You're good. That was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but we get to, we on our way back. The the, the students love that um, that trip. And on the way back, I had one student. They got in arguments. Uh, They're my students, so it makes sense. And they were. Arguing and and they were talking about suicide and this is kind of a weird topic but they were talking about whether if you commit suicide if you go to heaven or hell and all this kind of stuff and this one girl was so adamant that you went straight to hell if you committed suicide and I was like really intrigued and I was like well why do you believe that and she's like well I heard some pastor on YouTube say it I was like oh did he show you in scripture where it says that she's like no I was like did he talk about the variables like mental illness? no and I'm like I'm not saying you're right or wrong I don't I don't really know but what if what he says isn't from the Bible, then it's just his opinion, and that's just her opinion. She sat there and thought for a minute. She's like, you're right. I'm going to go look into it. And that was like the greatest thing for me because it's not about what I say or a pastor says or anything, but it's what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Now, I'm thankful, don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for pastors and teachers and everything that are way smarter than me. But the Bible tells us over and over again that we're supposed to judge and this is talking to the church, not the pastors, that we're supposed to judge the teaching that takes place in the church. Make sure it lines up with the word. If you're somebody here looking for a church or in the future you look for a church, here's the number one thing, uh, thing I say you should do. You should listen to the sermon and ask yourself, does that pastor and what he says remind me of Jesus? But here's the problem, is most people don't know the Bible, so they don't even know what Jesus is like. Yeah. How can we know Jesus if we don't know his word? Because knowing the word it protects our soul, it protects us from wrong doctrine. I get so worried about people that reject the Word, because it's just like that king in First Kings chapter twenty-two. He never says what I want to hear. In First Timothy chapter four, verse one through four, it says, "Now the Holy Scripture tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. So the Bible already tells us that's going to happen. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars." and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. I quote this verse every time my wife says, think about eating a salad. I'm like, woman, right here. I ain't avoiding certain foods, let me tell you what. But God creates those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. The reason I point that out is the scripture tells us Thousands of years in advance that some are going to stray away and follow the, teach, the teachings of demons. In other verses, it says they have itchy ears that just go to speakers that are funny or tell them what they want to hear. Nowadays, if you have enough patience, you can find a pastor or a church that will teach you whatever you want them to say. They'll be pro anything under the sun, whether it be against the Bible or not. In fact, Satan, his best move is to twist around Scripture. His best move is to challenge you. You know, in Adam and Eve, the first sin that was committed was because Satan walked up and said, did God really say that? He challenged this God's word in her life, and she's like, maybe, maybe you're right, maybe, maybe God's word isn't what I need to follow anymore. <laughs> Satan even did this to Jesus when he tempted him on the mount. He told him a bunch of scriptures out of context. And do you know how Jesus combated him? Some of us, we, we, we hit spiritual warfare and it's like I stubbed my toe. The Lord has rejected me. I'm hungry. He's fallen away from me. Jesus is literally face to face with Satan. Not just like some theoretical, like the physical presence of Satan was there and Satan is quoting scripture to him and Jesus begins to quote scripture back. The most, I, the most like interesting thing to me is when I got saved, I didn't know Where to start reading the Bible. So I literally began reading in Genesis and just kept going. And I began to hit like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and I'm like, God, I don't know if this Christianity thing's for me. This is hard. What changed it for me is when I found out that when every time Jesus quoted something to Satan, he quoted the book of Deuteronomy. It was so interesting. Even a lot of the things Jesus shared in his teaching, it wasn't something new. He was literally quoting Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Psalms 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, nowadays we have our phones, we have Google, we have the Bible app, we have whatever, so we can just pull it up. But this scripture isn't saying, I hid your word in my phone. It's saying, I hid it in my heart. As cliche as that sounds, you're going to find yourselves in situations where you're being tempted and spiritual warfare is going to be happening. And maybe it's not even your soul. Maybe you're you're trying to lead someone to Jesus and it's their soul on the line. And in that moment if you've hidden the scripture in your heart, it's going to come out. I've been in situations where I'm talking to someone and they say something, and instantly in that moment, God just refreshes my mind of a scripture I read, and, he's, and I share it, and it changes everything. It says that God's word never returns void, it's always fruitful. But we have to hide it in our hearts. When I first got saved, I had a bit of a potty mouth um, I think, like most of us probably do, and I not only would you know use swear words or, or inappropriate jokes, but one of uh, one of the things I was most guilty of is I would say things that were maybe true for people, but super unkind and ruthless. When Jesus talked about you know saying the truth and love, I was like, I get the whole saying things in the truth. I was like, I'll tell you what's up, whether you ask for it or not. But the love thing, I was like, that's that's a little more challenging. And so my pastor, every time I you know say a swear or I'd make an inappropriate joke, or I'd say something unkind to somebody. He'd be like, Ty, Ti, every time you do that, I want you to read James 126. I was like, okay. So I'd begin it, and I'd, and I'd start to re- and I'd read it, and then he'd be like, Ty, James 126, because I said something, tied to James 126, James 126, James 126. I used to get so frustrated. Before he'd even say something, I'm like, I get it, 126, yeah, I'm on it. To the point where I could just, I had him memorize, So Every time he'd say that, I'd just say it out loud. And he's like, cool. And I was frustrated at the time, but now I'm so thankful. Because every time I'm in a situation where I'm about to say something I shouldn't, or I'm about to say something unkind to somebody, that verse just pops in my mind. If a man considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he is fooling himself, and his religion is worthless. It's a little bit different up there because it's a different translation. But I was so frustrated. But I began to 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 put the word in my heart whether whether I meant to or not, and it just became a part of my everyday and next thing I knew every time I was facing a temptation for evil, the word came out. My last point is we need to store the word, and that means we need to memorize it. Can I just get on a soapbox for you guys a little bit? One of my pet peeves is we talk about you know church discipline pretty often or spiritual disciplines, pray, read your Bible, fast, all that cool stuff. How come we never talk about memorizing the word anymore? One of the greatest things that uh, ever happened to me is I had a Bible professor that every time I'd see him, he's like, Ty, what, what verse have you memorized this week? And I was like, I, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. I'll get back to you on that. And every time, I knew I needed to be memorizing a verse because he'd ask me every time what it was. Like, what verse are you working on? And he told me the reason why he does that is because, like I told you guys earlier, you're going to find yourselves in situations where you don't have the Bible with you, and God can use whatever verse you store in your heart. But if it's not in your heart, it's not in your mind, how is he going to bring it back to you? Psalms 119, verse 11, again, says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. James two nineteen, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. And Jesus' temptation, the verses he used, he memorized. He didn't go, hey, Satan, let me get back to you. I'm gonna hike down this mountain into the town, grab the Torah, and I'll be back the verses that he used he had memorized can i tell you guys something and this this isn't something that i'm saying you have to do but it's been really helpful for me is journaling one of my favorite things about journaling is i still have a collection of notebooks from like when i first got saved like 10 or so years ago i have journals from 5 years ago i have journals from 3 years ago i have journals from this year last year and all i simply do is write down what i'm reading in my bible uh, my prayer request, I'll, I'll write down when God answered that prayer, what God's doing. And it sounds, it sounds kind of like, that sounds like a lot of work. But every time, and I'm not exaggerating, every time I go through a hard season, I'll be sitting there and be like, God, I just don't know. Can I trust you? And I'll go back to those journals, and I'll say, the same God that answered this prayer 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 3 years ago, is the same God that hears my prayers today. And so if, he, if I can trust him for what he's already done, I can trust him now when I'm facing something I don't understand. We can look back and see what god has done but the problem is our memory is pretty terrible we forget things and so that's why it's important take notes write it down share testimonies i've said this many times but it's so true we as a as a church collectively a universal church um, we forget to steward testimony as well we're saved by the blood of the lamb and what the word of our testimony how often are you sharing your testimony how are you sharing your testimony? If we're going to store the word, it means we also need to do what it says. Before that, James in chapter 1, verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. Can I tell you, it's not about how much Bible you've read, but it's how much of the Bible you apply each and every day. It's not about reading 10 verses daily. It's about reading maybe one verse and memorizing it and applying it to your life. If I were to ask you today, save that for later. If I were to ask you today, who thinks that knowing the Bible is the most important thing? Knowing the Bible? Who thinks doing the Bible is the most important thing? There's some people that raise their hand for both, and that's good because the answer is both. We need to both know and do the word. Uh, my first ministry position was in a small town on the Oregon coast called Port Orford. It's like half an hour south of Bandon. If you haven't been there, you should. It's awesome. I love it. One of the things I enjoyed most about it is I got to surf while I was there. And I remember going down there and, uh, I decided I wanted to surf so I bought a board and bought a wetsuit and didn't know how to surf but I watched a YouTube video so I'm like, I'm practically a pro. I'm an expert. And I remember I went to breakfast with some of the older guys from our church. They had lived there forever, so you think I'd listen to them. And we're eating breakfast. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to try to surf today. I've watched a lot of videos, so I, I pretty much know what I'm doing. And they're like, Ty, there's a storm outside. Do you see the, you know, the rain and the thunder and all the waves? And I'm like, yeah, those look like good waves to ride. I'm going to try it. They're like, we don't recommend it. And I'm like, Psh. do you know who I am? I'm Ty Hayes, YouTube surf watcher. I got this. And so I grab my board, and I head down, and uh I should have known that I was in for trouble because the first thing I do is I put my board in front of me and the wave comes up and smack the board hits me and I'm kind of dazed and I'm like okay wave one tide zero so I put the board on the side of me and I walk it out there and I begin to paddle and I get up the, I get on there and it's super sketchy and the water's gray and you can't see anything and I'm I'm kind of scared and so um, this wave comes and I try to ride it and I just wipe out and I smack my head against the ground and I'm kind of dazed and people think that I'm joking, but I kid you not. I, I swear to this day that this is what I saw. I look up, and I swear there's an orca, like, making eye contact with me. And, and some of you don't know me well enough to know that, like, this is not, this is not, well, it is a joke, but it's not a joke. The number one thing, if you're asking me what I fear, it's not heights, it's not spiders, it is killer whales. I've watched enough documentaries. You know, sharks are kind of like, like, they're just, they're just things that follow their uh, instincts. They're, they're not out to get you. They just, if they bite you, it's because that's their instinct. I can live with that. It's bound to happen. Orcas are smart. They work together. Uh, I've watched so many documentaries on them because you should know your enemy. And they have different ways of hunting all over the world. They do all these things. And so I'm looking at them it, like it's like the Jurassic Park raptor, you know, that makes eye contact. And you're like, if he's looking at me, two are coming from the side. Here they go. And so I freak out and I jump on top of my board and like one arm's sore and hurt, so I have it tucked in and I'm just paddling with one arm and I'm going as hard as I can. Thing and I'm going to get back to shore and I'm just spinning in circles spinning in circles. And I freak out. I'm like, okay, if this arm isn't working, I tuck that arm in and pull out the next time. And I start doing it. And I start spinning in circles the opposite way. It's like the toilets in Australia. It's crazy. Um, And so I begin spinning and spinning and spinning. And I start, it starts to click. I'm like, oh yeah. So I begin to use both arms and I get back to shore. When we try to just know the word and know the word and know the word, we may learn a lot about the word. But if we're not doing the word, we're just spinning in circles. And if we're just doing, doing, and doing, and we're not learning the word, we're just spinning in circles. If we want to move forward in our spiritual maturity, in our spiritual life, we need to do both. Know, and do the word. I get out of the water. I put my uh, surfboard up on, in the truck, and I hit to the gas station. And the guy's like, were you just surfing? And I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, you're brave. Didn't you see on the news that there's a great white, like 25 long great white shark out there and I was like Psh, great white shark I don't care and I get in my truck and I start crying <laughs> like oh no I'm never surfing again this is the worst day of my life I don't know why I told you that last part it wasn't part of anything but you know there you go ending today I just have two questions I want to ask you the first one is will you follow Jesus by obeying and doing his word will you both know and do the word and I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or anything I just want you to think on that to meditate on that question, are you willing to grow in your faith by knowing and doing the word because there 's no other way to do it guys secondly, and this one 's uh, a little different but it's it 's more um, physical is there 's this handy thing that we use today called the Bible app you I going to tell you one of the things that like motivates me most to read the Bible is the Bible app, and here's why. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, you know, reading my Bible, and I, it was a Saturday, and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to read it today. It's my day off. Jesus, I'll see you on Sunday kind of thing. And the next day, I get on the Bible app, and I look, and this guy, I'm not, I'm not kidding, Kit had highlighted, like, eight verses that he read yesterday and all through the week, and he just never misses a day. And he didn't give me a hard time. He didn't say anything. But because of his example, I was inspired. And so something I want to encourage you guys today is, if you don't have that on your phone, Put the Bible app on your phone, get your phone saved. It's really good. Um, But secondly, find me, find other people in the church, add them on the Bible app, and read the Word together. One of the things that I'm thankful for with last year's pandemic, um, other than bringing me here because I love it here, is we figured out how to make community where it wasn't. Because of being stuck at home and doing all those things, we learned to to use our devices to, to draw closer together. And a great thing that came out of that is now we have this Bible app where we can add each other as friends and, and, and literally write a prayer request and pray for each other and highlight verses and do all these things together. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you have the Bible app, find someone here, find me, find Pastor Todd, hit up Pastor Brent from Guam, it's going to be good, um, and just start reading the Bible together. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Let me pray for you. God, right now I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for these awesome people, and God, I thank you for your amazing word. I pray that this morning that we would begin to have an affection for your word, that we wouldn't read it out of guilt or obligation or some kind of religious um, clout, but God, we'd read it because we desire to draw closer to you, to be more like you. And God, I pray that when we hear others speak, that we would weigh what they say against the word. As we have thoughts in our hearts and in our brains, that we'd weigh those against the word. That God, it wouldn't be about us, but God, it'd be about making much of you. God, I thank you for who you are and what you're continuing to do in this church. In your name I pray. Amen.
1: I'm sure you would agree with me that that was a powerful word. Ty, one of the things you said I wrote down that I want to take with me, and I'd encourage everybody, make sure you take an action point home with you, okay? Don't just kind of vaguely say to yourself, that was good, but take an action point. This one stood out to me. Ty said, your spiritual maturity will never go beyond your knowledge of the Bible. Uh, that, That stuck with me, and I'm just kind of hoping that as we leave here today that you will mark today on your calendar and say, today I'm going to make some changes, and then look back at your life over the next four weeks and then say, what happened because of that commitment? I believe you can't commit yourself to the word daily and, and live it daily for the next four weeks and not be transformed. I don't think you could do that. I think you'll be changed. We'll all be changed. Thank you, Ty, for a great word. Well, today I uh, would like to direct you toward a couple of things. The first is we're going to fill out our connection slips, or connection cards. Uh, the preferred thing here is to do it online. You can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Or if you're in the Bible app, there's even a link there right in today's note. Just That's what I always do. I just click on it. just opens it up for me. Would you take a moment and fill out the connection card there today? As we said, this is your opportunity to respond to an invitation to join the team for Wonder Camp. Or this is your opportunity to let us know about a prayer request. Or give us a testimony of something good that God has done. If you're new with us and you've never filled out one of these. It's especially valuable to the ministry here that we connect with you, that we get to know you. Believe me, they do not turn this into an opportunity to bother you, to bug you, to harass you. Um, They're going to respond and let you know they're thrilled to to hear from you and to have you here in this family. Uh, And as a thank you to you, they're going to do something significant. They're going to feed a child in a third world nation for a week through the Feed One program at Convoy of Hope. Uh, I've been watching Jeopardy, and uh, they right now they always have, today we're going to give money to this charity. And I've thought, boy, I wish I could be on there and I could announce the charity I would give to. Do you know the one I would give to? I'd give to Convoy of Hope. Because I would be able to tell people all around the world, in times of crisis, in the times of need, Convoy of Hope takes a gospel message of hope and food and medicine and water to people who need it the most, and so you can be a part of my dream today, okay? <laughs> By just filling out your connection card. the uh, The other thing I'd like to uh, to ask you to prepare for is to bring in God's ties and offerings this morning. I was, uh, I think the last month when I was giving my ties online at home, something hit me about Jesus and bread. OK, bread is a theme in the Bible. And uh, uh, Chris and I are reading the Sermon on the Mount together. And one of the things that Jesus talked about was uh, he taught us how to pray. We read this this morning. He said, give us today our daily bread. Bread has to do with our needs. But bread is also something that we give. Uh, when when uh, And we even use modern terminology for bread we call it money. You got any bread? I anyway, mean, that's a real 70s thing, isn't it, to say hey, amen? I'm just going to take some bread. It's, it's money. So um, Jesus sometimes asked people to give him bread. When there was uh, thousands of people who were hungry out in the middle of the desert and they needed food, he said to the disciples, uh, you got any food? And they said, well, we have these loaves of bread. He said, give it to me. Another thing Jesus did was when he asked for bread was he said to the disciples, go into town and prepare for the Passover. And they brought bread to that. And Jesus, when he was at the Passover meal, took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And at that time in the wilderness, when he fed all those people, he took that little sack lunch that had bread in it, he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples. He said, now give it to the people. Now there's a, there is a there is a theme in what happened. Every time Jesus touched the bread that was given to him, he used it for kingdom purposes and it multiplied. He multiplied the bread of that, uh, of that lunch and it fed thousands and then brought 12 baskets full back to send home with the kid for his family. He multiplied it. When Jesus took the bread at the last supper, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And that gospel has multiplied and gone around the world and literally billions have been saved. So today when you're bringing in your offerings, I want you to think of this. You're bringing in bread to Jesus for him to take into his hands and for him to break it and multiply it. Blessing. Will come. So today, would you think of your offering as your opportunity to bring bread to God for Him to bless and break? Let's pray. Would you get your offering ready? And I'm going to ask the ushers to come. Father, thank you today for the opportunity to bring bread into the house of God. We put bread into your hands, Jesus, so that the gospel will be given out to a hungry, dying, sinful world. We bring bread into this place today so that when you take it into your hands and bless it, this church's ministry will be amply supplied. And we bring bread to you and put it into your hands for you to break and to bless so that you can take care of all of our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to put it into your able hand thank you for this word that Ty has shared with us today. It's life-changing. We praise you and thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. The ushers are going to receive this offering. I'm going to ask you to hold your spot until they've had that opportunity to get all the way through the room. On behalf of uh, Pastor Brent, Pastor Ty, Pastor Donnie, I want to thank you for being here today. God bless you. Have a wonderful and a blessed week.